Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series on 1 Peter entitled Behind Enemy Lines. This is a continuation of a message that I preached two weeks ago. This is personal identification and this is part number two. Uh, please enjoy. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand one last time. Respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're just going to read two verses this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is a continuation of a message that I preached two weeks ago. And uh, the title of the message is Personal Identification. And this is uh, part number two. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for this Christmas season. Lord, it's just a time that we set aside to celebrate your birth, the fact that you gave of yourself, Lord, to come down to be with us and to save us, Lord. It just means so much to us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our service this morning. May I glorify you. And Lord, may the word of God change our, change our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, like I was saying, the purpose of 1 Peter is the, he's writing to these strangers, he's writing to these pilgrims. He's writing to Christians who are in a strange land. He's writing to Christians who are in an enemy land. And that's what we are. We are Christians that are in an enemy. We're in, in an enemy territory. And the purpose of Fort First Peter is to warn these strangers and to warn these pilgrims, look, you're, 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 in, a, you're in a place that they don't like you. You're in a country where they don't want you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some tips. I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to tell you what you should look out for and, and, and what you should do. So that's where we are in this series on the book of 1 Peter. Now, when I go through a book on Sunday mornings, I feel it's my job to just give you the scripture. Okay, so when I go through a chapter... On, on Sunday mornings, usually I go through a whole bunch of verses because I feel on Sunday morning it's my job just to give you the Scripture. And, and maybe uh, on, a, on Bible study night, it's time to slow down and take the verses one by one and whatnot. But I feel it's my job to kind of give you, just give you the Scripture on Sunday mornings. But the thing is, is that these two verses are so jam-packed full of stuff. There's so much stuff in these two verses for us to just unpack that there's no way that we can just blow right by them. We got to stop them and we got to look at them and we got to say, what exactly are these verses telling us in the book of 1 Peter? Well, first of all, let's look at the names in, in verse 9. It says, a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, what's significant about these names is these names are lifted straight out of the Old Testament. These names are, are lifted straight out of the Old Testament, and these names are meant for the children of Israel. These are names that are meant for them. They would have applied to Israel, but here they're given to us. So here, here's the first question. Has the church straight up replaced Israel? Well, yes, but, but more, no. We haven't replaced Israel. You see, he's not done with Israel yet. He's not done with Israel. Romans 12, 25 through 26. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, that shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, even in the book of Revelation, where it talks about how they're going to take 12,000 from each tribe and he's going to use them in a special way. These aren't, these aren't just the 12,000 saved in each tribe. These are just 12,000 12, specifically chosen. There's a lot more in these tribes that are saved. So by the time Revelation gets here, a whole bunch of Israel is going to be saved. They are going to accept Jesus one day. The Bible says one day Jesus will turn Israel away from ungodliness. One day he's going to do that. So, so he's not done with Israel yet. So the, the, the question is now, if, if Jesus is not done with Israel yet, why do these titles apply to us now? Because we've been grafted into the tree. We have been grafted into the tree and now we're a part of this thing too. Israel has been waiting on God to fulfill his promises. They waited on God to fulfill his promises for a long time. Now, God is waiting on Israel to receive the promises that he's fulfilled. And they haven't received them yet, but one day they will. But for now, for today, the church, me and you, we get to enjoy these fulfilled promises. We get to enjoy, we, we, get, we receive the fullness of these promises that they were supposed to get. So these titles, they were applied to Israel, but now they're applied to me and you. This is part of our identity. This is part of our identity in Christ is, is these titles, us as a people. What exactly do these titles mean for us? Well, let's go through them. Number one, it says a chosen generation. Now, this chosen generation, this is about our connection to each other. This chosen generation, it, it gets across the idea of we're all part of one race. We're all a part of one family that's genetically uh, uh, related. We're all related. The whole church, no matter, no matter who you are, we're all related by blood. We're all family. So guess what? So always remember that, that we're all a part of one big 
family. So when I get, when I accept, have faith in Jesus, I not only get Jesus as my savior, I get you as my brother. I get you as my sister. We're all brothers and we're all sisters. So many blessings in the Christian life come from the relationship between Christians. That's where a lot of our blessings come from. You understand this morning that it is through his people that he does his work. It is through his people that his power is performed. So what does that mean? Ergo, that means that the stronger relationship I have with my brethren in Christ, the more access I have to God's power, and the more access I have to the work of God, the stronger our relationship is. You know what we call this? We call this fellowship. We call it fellowship. You know what fellowship is? Fellowship is like friendship, but with a spiritual aspect to it. If friendship can benefit me physically, and if, bene- if friendship can benefit me mentally, then fellowship, it can benefit me physically, it can benefit me mentally, and it can also benefit me spiritually. Fellowship, it benefits me spiritually. So, you know, when we get saved, we are by default a part of this family. When we get saved, we are by default a part of this church. So then the question comes up. If I'm a part of, if I by default am a part of this family, if I'm by default, I'm a part of this church, and it happens automatically when I got, get saved, then why in the world would I want to go down to the local assembly? Why would I want to go down to the local church if I'm already a part of it? Why would I want to go to the local church? Because they're your family. That's why you go. You go because they are your family. There's benefit to being with family. You hear it all the time that, that grandparents that get to have access to their girl, grandchildren, they live longer. Why? Because there's benefit to being with family. Let me tell you something. Nobody isolates themselves from other believers and does something great, from God, great for God. Nobody isolates himself from the local church and is used hugely by God. It does not happen. You don't get to just go out there and be by yourself and be used great of God. No, you've got to get around other Christians. You know, we're, we're all part, since, since we're all a part of this family, it's one of the reasons we're given a command in Ephesians 4.3. Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know that word endeavor? That's an interesting word. That word endeavor, it kind of gives across the idea of of going on a business trip to grow your business. Like you have a business and you plan this trip and and you you say, okay, when I get there, I'm going to do step one. And after I do step one, I'm going to do step two. And after I do step two, I'm going to do step three. Now you're no longer on a trip. You're no longer on a vacation. Now you're on an endeavor. You're on an endeavor now. And so what this verse is saying is that we must do everything in our power to keep peace 
amongst ourselves. So many church members today, they are looking for excuses to fall out with someone. And they fall out over the littlest thing, over the most, the most minor thing we fall out with people when what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to work on staying together. But we look for any excuse to fall out. Now look, I'm not saying it's never, it's never time to leave. If there's a major gospel issue or if there's a major sin, that's one thing. That, that, that's completely different. But you know what? For all everything else, I'm to overlook it. I'm supposed to overlook so much for you because I know you have to overlook so much for me. So I am to overlook a whole lot just for us to, 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 to be together. Look, um, let me read for you Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So, so this is the classic verse. This is the classic verse commanding us that we are to go to church. But that verse does not say forsake church. It doesn't. Just think about it. We're the church. I'm the church. You're the church. It doesn't say, to say to forsake the church. It says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. Don't forget, the, don't forget the assembling of the church. This regular meeting of believers that we all belong to this family. We all assemble together. And that is what we're not supposed to forsake. And then it says, as the manner of some is. So even back then, when this was written, there were people falling out. You know, maybe people that leave church never to come back, maybe they don't know that they're supposed to try to make it work. You're supposed to try to make it work, you know. Oh, but what if you've been hurt? Brother Brett, I, I, I've been hurt. Well, you know what? We've all been hurt. I've been hurt bad. You may not can be best friends with somebody, but you can be friendly to everybody while you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We are a chosen generation. We are all related. We are all part of one family. And I'm to do everything in my power to keep that family together. This is about our connection to each other. Now, this next part, this is about our connection with God. Number two, a royal priesthood. This is about our connection to God. And so we are part of a royal priesthood. And in 1 Peter 2, back up in chapter 5, it even gives us our function as a priest. Chapter 5, I mean, verse 5, chapter 2 in 1 Peter says, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So that right there, that tells me my function. Christian, we are all priests. We're every single one of us. We are priests to God. When you get saved, you become a priest. You say, this is for men and women. Oh, well, there were no women priests. Well, there were no Gentile priests either. So, you know, uh, we're all priests. We're all priests. And so the, the high priest 
is a type of Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, when you see a high priest, that's a type of Christ. But when you see just a regular priest, that is a type of me and you. Now this doctrine, this is a doctrine that we hold to, and this doctrine is called the priesthood of the believers. We are all priests to God. And I have a few things that we engage in because of our priesthood. Number one, under, under this uh, royal priesthood, number one under this is, is because we're priests, we draw near to God. We draw near to God. I don't need anyone to help me draw near to God except for Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need another man to help me draw near to God. The only person I need to draw near to God is Jesus. In the Old Testament, there were layers of separation between God and the average ordinary person. One of those layers of separation was the priest. The priest could draw near to God, but the ordinary man couldn't. So the ordinary man needed the priest in order to draw near to God. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So what is this holiest? This holiest is the holy of holies. We all know about the holy of holies in the tabernacle. It was the place, it was the place where the presence of God was. Only the priest could go into the holy of holies. He had a string on his, on his leg with bells on it. When they, the bells quit ringing, if he did the offering wrong, he'd die. If the bells quit ringing, they know that priest was dead. They, they pulled it out by the string because they couldn't go in there because that's the holiest, that's the holy of holies. It's the holiest place on earth. It's the place where the presence of God is. Um, but here in the earlier chapters of Hebrews, it tells us that, the, that, that here in Hebrews 10, this holy, this holy of holies, this isn't the earthly tabernacle. This is the heavenly tabernacle. And here where it talks about boldness enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, that's not the earthly tabernacle. That's the heavenly sanctuary. If you continue on, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. So the veil, there is a veil that covers the holy of holies. It separates God from ordinary man. When Jesus died, that veil was torn. Now, it wasn't just torn on earth. On earth, it was physically torn. It was also torn in heaven. There's a heavenly sanctuary. There was a heavenly temple. And at the same time, the veil was torn on earth. The veil was torn in heaven. Now, here's the question. What was the veil made of in heaven? His flesh. This veil in heaven that was torn, that was ripped away so that we could now enter that, it was his flesh. When his flesh was ripped away, that veil was ripped away. Now, because that veil of his flesh was ripped away, now see what we can do. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. See what we can do now? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that his flesh, now that that veil of flesh is ripped away from the holy of holies in heaven, now I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now I can stand before him. Now I can go in his presence. I can. I don't need somebody else. I can do it. Look, make no mistake. I want other people to, I want other people to pray for me. I want other people to pray for me. But guess what? I can pray. I can pray. I don't need a priest. I don't need a pope. I don't need a bishop. I don't need any flesh, man, or woman on this planet to draw near to God. I can draw near myself because when I got saved, I became a priest. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let anybody stand between you and God and say, you got to go through me. The Pope, when the Pope comes, he's feigning humility. Because he stands up all humble. But what he's actually saying when he stands up is, is you have to go through me to get to God. If you're not a part of my organization and you don't go through me, you can't get to God. That's not what this Bible says. We are priests. Number next, we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors under royal priesthood. 2 Corinthians 5.18 and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's an interesting term. What is the ministry of reconciliation? That would be us preaching the gospel. That's all it is. Ministry of reconciliation is simply us preaching the gospel. And we know that because of what the very next verse tells us what the ministry of reconciliation is. It says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed us unto the word of reconciliation. So God's part is, recon is reconciliation. His part was reconciling us with God. You know what my part is? My part is the word of reconciliation. So he, 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 he did the reconciliation. Now my part is the word. Now I'm to tell people. I'm to go out and tell people. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does this mean? This means that all Christians, men, women, children, we're all missionaries. Every last single one of you in here, we're all missionaries. Well, missionaries doesn't the the, the 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 where doesn't matter. God will give us the where, but wherever we at, wherever we're at, we are missionaries. We should live with the gospel on our lips. Lips. 
Let me ask you a question. If someone came up to you today and asked you how to be saved, could you give them the gospel? Could you give them the gospel? We're all called to preach the gospel and be ready with it. And what is the gospel? Man, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Because of that sin, we deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, he came down to earth and he was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect sinless life. And he he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross, he took your punishment on him. He took my punishment. And he shed his blood. And he was buried. And he was resurrected on the third day. And now if I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and I make him Lord of my life, that blood will wash my sins away and he will take me to heaven when I die. That is the gospel. And we are to live with the gospel on our lips. If somebody asks you to give them the gospel, could you do it? We're all priests. We're all missionaries. Number next, as priests, we offer sacrifices. As priests, we offer sacrifices. Priests are to offer sacrifices and offerings. That's what what they do. Verse 5 in 1 Peter 2 tells us that we offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, this is different from the Levites. The Levites didn't didn't offer spiritual sacrifices. The Levites in the Old Testament, they offered actual physical sacrifices. Uh, We kind of have an example of a spiritual sacrifice in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 tells us what one of these spiritual sacrifices are. Romans 12.1 says that the spiritual sacrifice is what? It's our bodies. Our bodies are the spiritual, are, is a spiritual sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Lord, what is this spiritual sacrifice you want from me? The Lord looks at us and says, your body. Use your body in a way that honors me. Lord, do you you want me to die for you? No. I want you to live for me. I want you to be a living sacrifice. Um, You see, you see, Christian, when you get saved, you don't just give your heart to Jesus. You give your hands and you give your back. And you give your eyes and you give your mouth. You give your body. Your body is a living sacrifice. Use your body in a way that honors God. That's a spiritual sacrifice. Another spiritual sacrifice is in Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So we offer a sacrifice of praise. Now, it doesn't say just offer praise. It says offer a sacrifice of praise. Now, I mean, usually sacrifice implies loss. 
Sacrifice implies pain or something like that. A sacrifice will cost you something. So, so sacrifice of praise, how's that cost us something? You know, here's the thing. This is, listen to this. You can worship God wherever you want. You can worship God whenever you want. But you cannot worship God however you want. You cannot worship God however you want. Jesus said we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're not worshiping in spirit, you're not worshiping in God. And what's the opposite of spirit flesh? If you're worshiping him in the flesh, you're not worshiping God. And then you're supposed to, supposed to worship him in truth. What is truth? The Bible. This is the truth. If it's not in here, if it's outside this book, then you're not worshiping God. We're to worship God in spirit and we're to worship him in truth. You know, there's a there's a, there's a, a modern confusion when it comes to worship. There's a modern confusion when it comes to worship. You know, music is an emotional thing. And, you know, that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. It's a wonderful thing. But this means that music can also manipulate. Music can manipulate. And it can be used in a selfish sense where it's not for the Lord, it's for me. People will pick a church based on the music. Well, how about the preaching? Ah, music. The music makes me feel good. The music feel good. That is not the purpose of of the music it's not there to make you feel good it's not about me and you feeling good now look worshiping god sometimes it feels great sometimes it feels good but not all the time sometimes it it feels like nothing you ever been in a music service and you're just like yeah you just like you know you just one of those music services where you you're just not into it so you automatically think something is wrong. So I automatically think, oh, it's the church, it's the service, it's the song. When the reality is maybe we just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. The reality is maybe someone was crabby to us. Maybe we were crabby to someone else. Maybe something's happened in your life and you're depressed about it. And you're just depressed. And man, in those instances, praise becomes a sacrifice. Because guess what, Christian? You're not always going to be in the mood to worship God. When you come to that place in your life, you say, man, I really don't want to go to church today because I'm really, I'm going through some stuff and I'm not in the mood to worship God today. I'm not in the mood to sing. I'm not feeling it. What should you do in that instance? Worship anyway. Worship anyway. Make it a sacrifice of praise. Think about the children of Israel at Jericho. They're about getting ready to march around the city. This is a dangerous battle. This is a battle where people could lose their lives. I'm sorry, nobody is looks forward to battle. Battle's a scary thing. And then God says, oh, and put the musicians out front. You know, I can almost guarantee you those musicians were like, okay, let's go praise God. Let's go worship God today. 
I can almost guarantee you that they weren't like that. They're going into battle. But you know what they did? They worshiped out of obedience. They worshiped out of obedience. And look, worship where you're just, where you're feeling it and, and you're feeling good and you feel the spirit. And then, and then worship where you're just not into it, but you do it anyway. Both are the same. One is not diminished over the other. Think about Job. All that Job went through. All this, you know, we, you know, yes, he lost all his, his, he lost his house. He lost all his animals, his livestock. That all pales in the comparison to the fact that he lost his children. That all pales in comparison to that. So he lost all his kids and his, his friends are getting on him. His wife looks at him and says, curse God and die. I can guarantee you that Job was not in the mood to worship God. And what did Job say? Job said, bless, bless, blessed be the Lord. He said, bless God. Bless you, God. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to fake it. You have to faith it. It's not about feeling it, and it's not about faking it. It's about faithing it. Number next, we have a ministry to counsel one another. Romans 5, 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to also to admonish one another. Now that word admonish, that means help, that means encourage that means get on to somebody if they need getting on that just means that means giving other people what they need you know we are all as priests we're all to counsel one another there's safety in a multitude of counselors so don't think just because you give somebody advice that your advice is the end all and be all because it isn't so what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go around and get safety in a multitude of counselors. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but we're all to be counselors one to another. Another ministry we have as priests is a ministry of prayer one to another. Let me read for you James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another so you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. To pray for one another. And then right after that verse in James 5.16, know who he talks about? He talks about Elijah. And talks about all the awesome things that Elisha did through prayer. And we look back and say, oh, well, <laughs> Elisha did all those awesome things because Eli Elijah, uh, Elijah, not Elisha, uh, Elijah was awesome. That's why he did those things. And then the, the, the Bible says, no, it's not because Elijah was awesome. It's because his God was awesome and you and him serve the same God. The same God that Elijah prayed to and the fire came down and licked up the altar and licked up the water and licked up the dirt and he called down fire from heaven. Elijah had access to the same God that me and you have access to today. It's not because he was awesome. It's because his God was awesome. Now listen, there are churches out there that want to take your priesthood away. And it ain't just the Catholic church. 
It's other churches too. Priest so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, apostle so-and-so. They say, you have to go through me to get to God. No, you don't. You do not have to go through anyone else. Don't let anybody take away from you what God has gifted you. You don't need another person to draw near to God. You can draw near to God on your own. Number three, a holy nation. A holy nation. You know what that word that holy nation means it means a community. It, it, it means that, that people are gathered for the same allegiance. When I was in elementary school, we still said the pledge allegiance to the flag. We still in elementary school, we, we did that every morning. Now in middle school, <coughs> excuse me, we stopped that. Not I, I don't know if it's because it was in middle school, because they stopped it when I went into middle school. But all through elementary school, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And, you know, so, you know, so we, we have this allegiance. You know, Jesus talked about how we're all part of the same flock, how we all have the same shepherd. Know what that means? Me and you, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. You know, you know what that means? That means I live by the rules of heaven. I don't live by the rules of the United States of America. My allegiance is to heaven. I live ultimately not under the laws of the United States, but I am ultimately under the Lord. 1 Peter 4 uh, in, I mean, I'm sorry, in Acts 4, in Acts 4, Peter and the other apostles, uh, they're preaching the gospel and the religious leaders come up to them. And uh, I want you to know these religious leaders, they had legal authority. They weren't just some knuckleheads coming up telling the apostles to quit preaching the gospel, quit preaching about Jesus. It's not like they're just some knuckleheads, some bullies. No, they had legal authority. They made the law. And so these, these religious leaders that had the law, they made a law where you couldn't speak in the name of Jesus. And so they basically told them that they were breaking the law if they preached in the name of Jesus. And it's interesting to see how, how Peter responded. In Acts 4, 18 through 20, it says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. This is what Paul and John said. And I mean, Peter and John and Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know what that basically they basically said? They basically said, look, um, who do you think it's more important for us to obey God or you? Why don't you think about that? It, it, it's more, and, and we're going to obey God. I don't care what you say. I don't care what laws you pass. We are going to obey God. So what does that mean for me and you? Our loyalty is to God primarily, and our loyalty is to God entirely. Entirely. Now, we are to yield to the government. But the reason why I yield to the government is because I yield to God. And God tells me to yield to the government. I know a preacher. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I follow his work. His name is Kent Hovind. You may not know the name, but you might have seen him on YouTube. 
he's the preacher that uh, he, you got him standing there, and usually the most famous clips are him in a burgundy coat, and he's talking against three atheist professors. I don't know if you've seen those videos. They're very interesting. He's an apologist. And he talks about how, uh, you know, he proves that God created, he's trying to prove that God created the universe and, and you know, all this evolution stuff. He's all refutes that. And this, this one, the, these, uh, these most famous uh, videos on YouTube are these clips of him against three atheist professors. And the three atheist professors are sitting over there attacking him. And he's over here by himself just him and the word of God and he just he just rips them apart I mean he lays into them there's no doubt he won that debate okay he he had an answer bam 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 for everything that they said he used to have this dinosaur land down in Florida and some people said they even went down there and seen it and it it, it talks about how uh, you know you about the dinosaurs and how they were pre-flood and where they came from and what happened to them super super interesting stuff and you know I, I, I still to this day I still watch some of his videos he's still making videos today I still listen to his videos from time to time but here's the thing about Kent Hovine Kent Hovine went to jail for 10 years he just got out a couple years ago you know why because he thought it was unbiblical to pay taxes so he quit paying taxes and he went to jail for 10 years I'm sorry brother Kent render under Caesar that which is Caesar and to the Lord that which is the Lord's I'm sorry you went to jail for 10 years but you still have to obey the government unless it tells you to sin when the government tells you to sin, that's when I don't have to obey the government anymore because I have a higher authority. Daniel was told he couldn't pray to his God. Daniel was told he could only pray to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel thought, whoa, that's not right. So Daniel went into his private house and shut all the doors and shut all the windows and prayed to God. No, he didn't do that. Daniel went in public and he knelt down in defiance and prayed to the holy God of Israel. And they took him and they threw him into the lion's den. And whether those lions ripped him up or not, it didn't matter. He was not going to pray to anyone but the holy God of Israel. You could say the same thing for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As they were getting thrown into the fiery furnace, they did the same thing. It's coming to that in our country. A business owner, loving Christian business owner, I'm sorry, I can't bake that cake. It goes against my faith. Oh, you're so full of hate. You're so full of hate. You hate all these people. You hate people. It's not about hate. It's about faith. It's really, it's about love. It's not about hate. Oh, but they'll lose their business. They'll get thrown in jail. Um, you know... Yeah, you know, if it was a Muslim bakery, they wouldn't do anything to the Muslims. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let's just be real. But a Christian does it and they lose everything. Number four, a peculiar people. 
a peculiar people. Now that word, that word peculiar is translated as in you have possessions. You, you know, you, you have you uh, as possessions. So when it says the peculiar people, what it's saying is we are possessed by the Lord in the sense that the Lord owns us. He owns us. We are his possession. Now, I like the way at Paul put it in Acts 27, 23. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. Paul said, I belong to God. I am his possession. God owns us. He owns us. Yes, we are to tithe. We are commanded to give that 10%. But make no mistake about it. That other 90%, he owns that too. He owns that too. So if, if God tells you to give over 10%, you do it. If he tells you to give over there, you give over there. If he tells you to give over here, you give over here. You, and, and, and with the rest of the stuff he lets you keep, you only buy stuff that honors God. Because if God owns me, then he owns all my stuff. You know, and this is more than just a romantic relationship with God, although we can have a close, intimate relationship with God. And look, I know this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I say romantic relationship, of course, I'm not talking about a physical relationship, but I'm talking about a closeness and, and, and intimacy. But, you know, and it's, it's also not just a business relationship where where God does his thing and then I come along and do my thing and we coexist. It's more than that. It's like when Thomas put his hands on the wounds and Thomas looked at Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. It, it means that that he it, it means that he is my Lord and he is my God. All of my thoughts, all of my actions. It's all for him. You ever heard the term sold out for Christ? That's what that means. When you're sold out for Christ, everything about you is for him. Your thoughts, your actions, where you go, what you say, what you do, that's being sold out for Christ. It's all for him. You, you, it means you give it all to him. Now, here's the thing. What's the purpose of these titles? What's the purpose of them? Verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? Why am I these, these things? Because of the next part. That ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know why I'm all these things? I am all these things so I can proclaim what he's done for me. I am all these things so that I can live a life of thankfulness and praise to God. Psalm 71, 8. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. So all day long, my mouth is to be filled with praise to God. All day long, my mouth is to be filled with honor to God. Why? Because my life says something about God. Your life 
says something about God. Your marriage says something about God. How you handle your singleness says something about God. How you act at work says something about God. I was born with a self-concern. I'm to take that self-concern, I'm to turn it into God-concern. Or my whole life, my only concern is what does God think about it? We need to have an attitude of thankfulness and not an attitude of entitlement. I'm going to leave you this morning with one verse and one statement. Here's the verse. Psalms 115.1 Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Not unto us. Not unto us. Unto you. For your truth and your glory. And here's a statement I'm going to leave you with. The character of who I am is to proclaim who God is. That's what my character should be.